it's time for Forward Nation Radio. Now here he is, the host of Forward Nation Radio, David Leventhal. Microsoft announces a pledge of $500 million, half a billion dollars, to ease Seattle's housing crisis. Hey, come to think of it, that that gives me an idea. Maybe we can get Microsoft to pay for U.S. infrastructure. Maybe they could pledge to run our schools and fix our broken educational system. Maybe they could pledge money to save the environment for environmental protection, inspections. Maybe they could run food safety. No, wait a minute. Hold on. What am I thinking? Better yet, maybe Microsoft can change its name to Mexico and build a border wall and solve our government shutdown problem. No, 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 no. I'm not thinking big enough here. Maybe with $500 million to spend on a housing crisis, maybe you have some money left over to donate to Forward Nation Radio. And me, David Leventhal, host of Forward Nation Radio. Yeah, that's it. That ought to solve a lot of our problems. Anyway, thanks for joining us this week, where this Microsoft pledge has given us an opportunity to talk about, again, the necessity of government. Hard to believe we actually have to address this, but we do. The necessity of government and what happens in its absence. We are also inspired to take on this subject through the complete abdication of governing responsibility as seen through, as we go to record this, day 33 of the partial government shutdown. You know, the government shutdown, which is leading every day now, apparently, 10% of much of our governing workforce to call in sick, including TSA, transportation security workers, much of our inspectors, of planes, plane safety, air traffic controllers, yes, ironically, border security agents to call in sick, Coast Guard agents, as we've learned through the week, shockingly as it may be, in part through the El Chapo trial. What a surprise. Drugs are not coming into this country by being smuggled across our open border. They're coming in through things, among others, like ships. You know, Coast Guard, not running. Not so much, anyway. We're seeing how all kinds of shutdowns in our federal government and workers not being paid, hundreds of thousands of them, are undermining not just the lives of millions of our fellow citizens, but the entirety of our economy. You know, our economy the thing that Donald Trump has been taking credit for fixing. But as we go to air, finally, there is some hope that maybe we can get past the longest government shutdown in the history of the United States of America. And no, I'm not just talking about the hope that maybe Microsoft and other corporate titans would just donate money for Trump's vanity project. No, with people suffering around this country, to the large numbers that they are. The GOP 
and the president, its leader, is finally moved to act to help our fellow citizens. <laughs> just, just kidding. You knew I was just kidding on that one. Uh, yeah, not giving a crap about any of their fellow citizens means that that's not really going to be the motivation for our current Republican Party. But what is the motivation, perhaps, for some chink in the wall, maybe, is that it doesn't seem to be playing well right now for the GOP. Despite its lock on the media, despite its propagandists in radio, print, TV, not just talking to you, Fox News, despite its lock on so much of our media, the public is just not buying that this is the fault of Democrats and Republicans are trying to fix this. Maybe it has something to do with all those videos of Trump saying, yeah, I, I am gleeful about a government shutdown and I will happily take credit for it. Maybe it's hard to spin their way out of that. Well, not, if, not of course, 35% of effing morons who will support Trump no matter what cliff he drives us off of. But maybe for the rest of us, and maybe Republicans think that a few of those are going to be necessary in order to win some elections in the future, or at least, as I've pointed out on this show many times, to get close enough in elections to steal a few going forward. Or maybe, maybe there is some possibility of movement lying in the fact that the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, has threatened the President of the United States with the worst crisis imaginable. The crisis of undermining his nationwide lie fest, his State of the Union address, giving him a platform, a wonderful media event where he can spread his lies to the American public. This, of course, being the worst result imaginable for a president who could do absolutely nothing and cares about absolutely nothing other than stage management. The worst result imaginable, in other words, for President P.T. Barnum. So maybe this threat from the st- of, of taking away the State of the Union has lit a fire under Donald Trump the way suffering of millions of Americans could never do. That, in fact, has led, as we're recording right now, Donald Trump has just sent his public letter to the Speaker of the House saying that he will, in fact, be there for the State of the Union address, even though he apparently has been disinvited. Oh, it's gleeful to think about what could happen here. How much I would just love for her to write back and say, you are not welcome to speak in front of Congress. Maybe, you know, perhaps we don't have the security or, you know, if you're going to get by that excuse and say, well, we'll have the security, no problem. Maybe we could just say that we're too busy drafting articles of impeachment right now to be hosting a criminal. The criminal we are hopefully about to boot out of office. I don't know, maybe they could go ahead and just schedule something else during that time. Or turn off all the lights or something. Take away the keys. Now, Republicans will probably have keys too. So let's go back to scheduling something else there. Maybe, Maybe that's the solution. Why don't, since the president loves optics, why don't we schedule, aren't there immigrants waiting to be sworn into this country? Why don't we do that instead? Why don't, instead of having the State of the Union, let's book that time reserved for the State of the Union for an immigrant swearing in on the floor of the House of Representatives. Okay, this is all just a pipe dream. 
ultimately, it's hard to imagine that the Democrats are going to stand firm on this one and prevent the president from having his State of the Union or making him go try to find some other stage where he can manage the State of the Union. But speaking of optics and stage managing, when, when you think about the State of the Union happening, a president who is hopefully soon going to face impeachment, the prospect of the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, sitting behind him for an hour while he tells lie after lie after lie, spins one bigoted piece of garbage after another, is almost unimaginable. The idea that Nancy Pelosi will be able to sit behind him and try to maintain some form of composure and decorum seems ridiculous. So why don't we kind of change the stage managing a little bit? If you're going to have to back down Speaker Pelosi and allow the president to speak, maybe you should give your seat up. Maybe Stormy Daniels could sit behind President Trump while he lies to the American public for an hour or so. Maybe she could be sitting behind him. How cool would that be? Or maybe one of his many sexual harassment accusers could be sitting behind him. Maybe even Dr. Christine Blasey Ford, our new Supreme Court justice's recent sexual assault accuser, could be sitting behind him as he spins lie after lie, reminding the American public what he really stands for. Of course, the real hope that maybe at some point in the future we could end this government shutdown stems from the fact that the Senate has scheduled two votes about ending the shutdown. And yes, it is widely expected that neither vote has a chance of passing, the first vote being basically President Trump's hostage-taking, the second vote essentially the vote that was passed unanimously just a few weeks ago. Nevertheless, the fact that Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has apparently risen from the dead. Oh, wait a minute. Check that. I really shouldn't be saying risen from the dead about Mitch McConnell since he already suffers enough from a Jesus complex. But the idea that maybe he might be actually getting involved in some effort to fix this government shutdown might give some hope that a solution might be reached in the future. Not necessarily the hope that Mitch McConnell seems to be evidencing. This is a... uh, This problem could be solved if just my uh, Democratic friends uh, could put country ahead of politics. Sorry, my Mitch McConnell's a little bit rusty. Ignoring the fact that Mitch McConnell clearly doesn't have any friends at all, let alone any on the other side of the aisle. But anyway, putting country ahead of politics, we're going to get a lecture from Mitch McConnell about putting country ahead of politics. The man who left a Supreme Court seat vacant for a year without any constitutional prerogative on that one simply because he was putting politics ahead of country. The man who spent eight years of an Obama presidency. And remember the Obama presidency? It was the last presidency we had in this country where the president was actually elected by the public. Remember that? Twice actually elected by the public. And remember Mitch McConnell for eight years decided to undermine Obama at every turn, no matter what it was Obama wanted to do, knowing that the only way back to power for the Republican Party was to defeat 
the president of the United States and his agenda to help America. This is the man who has the temerity to lecture us on putting country ahead of politics. The man who perhaps more than any other person on the planet has put politics ahead of country and everything else at every opportunity. In fact, McConnell is once again a reminder of the single worst hat trick ever in the history of the world. Where up until recently, we had a government so-called run by the single worst president we have ever had in United States history. Yes, George W. Bush is cheering that one mightily because he's now dropped to second place and worst president ever. But I think it's pretty fair to say, even at this point, only two years into his administration or the Putin administration, that Donald Trump is already the single and obviously the single worst president in the history of this country. Mitch McConnell, it is now roundly being discussed, including by former Speaker Harry Reid, how Mitch McConnell is the single worst Senate majority leader this country has had in 100 years of Senate majority leaders. And up until recently, Paul Ryan, Speaker of the House, clearly, as is, again, roundly being acknowledged, the worst Speaker of the House in the history of the United States. In other words, hat-trick, Republican style. Anyway, we hope government opens because, again, the idea that we have the complete abdication of governing responsibility, the consequences of that are increasingly becoming evident. Not just for the government shutdown and the suffering and the hit to the economy, Did you notice this week that a series of recent scientific papers are showing that the estimates of climate change and the destruction and the threat of climate change were in fact too conservative? A series of scientific papers that have shown, among other things, that scientists have discovered that the Greenland ice sheet, containing the vast majority of fresh water on the planet, is melting at an accelerating rate and in fact is expected to be a major factor in sea level rise within two decades. We've known for a long time that once Greenland ice sheets start to melt away, we're done for. In fact, the Arctic and Greenland ice sheets are melting at almost four times the rate they were in just 2003. Not that long ago. As young as I assume most of our listeners are, you were all alive then. Or almost all of you anyway. The Arctic, it has recently been shown, is warming at two times the average of the rest of the planet. Oceans are warming far faster than estimated just a few years ago. Again, ocean warming, a huge indicator of getting to the point of no return. Did you not hear all this? Well, you could be forgiven for not having known about all these recent scientific papers on climate change because, shockingly, it doesn't seem to be covered by any of our national media. Oh, that's not fair. It was on page 
A337, I think, of the New York Times this week. Probably not a lot of our TV news or a lot of our radio news. This is, among other things, the consequences of, of leaving the dissemination of information to private, profiteering, capitalist companies. None of which, really, have an incentive to alerting the public to the dangers, the tragedies awaiting us from climate change, all of whom are profiting mightily off of climate change. Of course, Sarah the Huckster went and addressed this problem. Well, not really. Talking to Sean Hannity, another lying sack of shit, she pointed out that we shouldn't be even talking about climate change. Democrats shouldn't be talking about things like climate change because, after all, climate change is one of those things that's best left to God. Yeah, seriously, she didn't use the word God. She used a synonym, higher power or something like that. That's right. That's what governing means in the GOP. Why govern when you can pray instead? She pointed out on Sean Hannity that Democrats shouldn't be worried about climate change. They should, in fact, be worrying about the problems facing us today. You know, not the destruction of the planet, of course, but a fucking wall. That's the problem facing us today that Democrats should be worried about. Governance, GOP style. Feeling good out there, Trump voters? For my listeners, keep that in mind the next time you talk to some of your Trump voting and Republican supporting friends. These are the problems facing us today. The wall, not the destruction of the planet. Of course, let's not forget we've been reminded this week not just of the consequences of failure to govern, but the consequences of leaving governing of the United States of America up to Russia, a hostile foreign adversary, in case you missed that. Yes, the President of the United States, in his proposal to end the government shutdown, proposal number one on Mitch McConnell's list, which is basically to take hostages and then maybe consider giving them up. By the way, proposal number two on Mitch McConnell's list of items that will go, bills that will come in front of the Senate tomorrow to solve the government shutdown is what's referred to as the Democratic proposal. You know, by Democratic proposal, basically the proposal that was approved by the United States Senate unanimously just a few weeks ago before Donald Trump weighed in and decided to give it Democratic cooties, making it untouchable among Republicans. Neither one, somehow, expected to pass, including the one that just passed 100 to 0 a few weeks ago, before all the suffering began. But anyway, so that brings us back to to Russia. Donald Trump proving with his bill to end the government shutdown that he doesn't know the meaning of the word compromise. And yet, events from the past week have demonstrated amply that he sure as hell does know the meaning of the word compromised, as in, compromised is the President of the United States when it comes to dealing with Vladimir Putin and a hostile government foreign power. 
the almost comedic take on the fact that this country is being run by a traitor. Was Rudy Giuliani back in the news? You know, it's, you know, it's been a really depressing week when in summarizing the week, you have to use the names Rudy Giuliani and Sarah the Huckster in the same discussion of the week. But anyway, the president's lawyer-in-chief came out and admitted that the president committed a federal impeachable crime. And then he took it back once he realized what he did. And then he did it again. And then he took it back again. Probably a couple more times. Admitted to federal crimes. And then took them back again. Which, believe me, has really pissed off the president of the United States. He is very upset. He said, wait a minute. Pleading, admitting to federal crimes, to felonies? That's my job. That's not your job. I'm the one who admits repeatedly to committing felonies. This, is, this, this would be comical if it weren't for the fact that they are admitting to felonies and impeachable offenses and being the bitch of a hostile foreign power. The only thing one can think of here the more he lets Rudy Giuliani speak, is that they are once again, as pointed out in this show months ago, laying the groundwork for Trump's true defense to the charges that undoubtedly will be brought against him, hopefully soon. And that is the insanity defense. The stupidity defense not being legally cognizable, of course. So they seem to be laying the basis for the insanity defense. You can't we can't have committed federal crimes that require mens rea or intent because we're too insane to have that intent. Like, for instance, you know, the tapes that Rudy Giuliani seems to be talking about and then taking back, not talking about. In case you hadn't heard that one, Rudy Giuliani said while talking to a reporter, that it was all consistent with what he heard on the tapes, and then said, wait a minute, did I say tapes? I didn't mean to say tapes. No, tapes. You know, as one looks at the developing Russia scandal, one seems to think that Trump, being as competitive as he is, is intent always, always on being first, on beating Richard Nixon when it comes to counts of impeachment. And they seem to be covering all of their bases. Witness tampering, obstruction of justice, all that. They're going over the list and saying, yeah, yeah, we got to get that one. We got to get that one. We got to get that one. And, you know, the tapes thing, that's really pretty resonant of Watergate, in case you've missed that one. Of course, in one respect, Trump has Watergate beat. One thing about Richard Nixon, he was a criminal. He covered up his criminal activities, paid people to cover up his criminal activities, all that other stuff that forced him to resign, the only president, hopefully I won't be able to say this in another year, forced out of office. One thing about Richard Nixon, he was not accused of being a foreign agent. He certainly was not credibly accused of being a foreign agent. In fact, he wasn't, let's face it, accused pretty obviously at this point of being a foreign agent. The news on that front this week, again, we talked last week about Oleg Deripaska, the uh, Russian oligarch who Donald Trump and the Republicans have been trying to ease sanctions on. Well, it turns out, 
I guess we were wrong because Trump came out to tell us this week how they were, in fact, really tough on him. He can't be in league with Russia and Putin's allies if they were so tough on Oleg Deripaska, it turns out. Only, you know, not. Like basically everything else coming from the mouth of the President of the United States, turns out that one was a lie too. Turns out that this, these actions that we took that were supposedly really tough on Oleg Deripaska, not so much. And in fact, were completely consistent with a president doing the bidding of Vladimir Putin. Maybe, maybe we can have Vladimir Putin sit behind Trump at the State of the Union address. Anyway, as if abdication of governing authority wasn't enough, we've also been able to see this week more evidence of what happens when your abdication of governing responsibility is motivated by and includes blatant appeals to bigots. You know, the Trump and the GOP for the last whole bunch of years having to appeal to bigots. Well, this week, in case you missed this news, the mayor of Gdansk, Poland, was fatally stabbed by someone who, at first blush, appears to be a bit of a lunatic. On the other hand, we will hear all these things about how this was not related to the politics of Poland. And yet, like we're seeing, and we're tragically going to see more of in the United States, undoubtedly, this absolutely is related to what's going on in Poland. When you have an ultra-nationalist right-wing government preying upon the bigotry and resentments of its people. Sound familiar? You have a somewhat leftist mayor of Gdansk, Poland, who is arguing against this turn to this right, to the right, to nationalism, to neo-Nazism in Poland, who just happens to get stabbed by someone really pissed off and really angry at the world. Not that this is foreshadowing of what we can be expecting to see more and more of in America. But I've been, as I've been arguing on this show since I started, sometimes it's hard to imagine what's worse in this country. Having Donald Trump as president and emboldening the shit that supports him. Or getting rid of Donald Trump and getting unleashing the shit that supports him. Of course, there's really no choice there in the long run. But it is a scary prospect. Anyway, also this week, a federal judge has ruled that Governor Scott Walker, outgoing, former Governor Scott Walker of Wisconsin, and the outgoing Wisconsin GOP majority, their goodbye efforts to suppress voting in Wisconsin, you know, as we've talked about at length on the show, the only way Republicans can get elected to political office in the foreseeable future by stopping sane people from voting. Well, a federal judge judge just ruled that that action blatantly, the federal judge's ruling, violated the judge's previous injunction to assert legal authority to prevent these criminals, i.e. the Republican Party, from stopping people from voting. Blatantly violated previous injunctions. Boy, it would be nice to see Rico, criminal RICO actions brought against the GOP 
and these sons of bitches sent to prison for a really long time in high numbers. That federal judge's action is a reminder of Chief, Chief Justice John Roberts, United States Supreme Court, and his actions as Chief Justice, which were lavishly praised this week by Thomas Friedman in the New York Times. You know, so-called moderate liberal Thomas Friedman, the New York Times, who praised, well, a few months too late, it seems to me, in a column he must have penned months ago and then not had anything to run this week, but praised Justice Roberts' bold stand to stand up for the judiciary and criticize Donald Trump's war on the judiciary. Yes, let's stand up for the Chief Justice of the United States. That bold, bold Chief Justice who just this week has taken a bold stand on discrimination. Voting to make sure that it's enabled. As the Supreme Court conservative majority, it's five to four conservative majority, has opened up the gates for Donald Trump's uh, transgender ban in the United States military to proceed. The ban had been stopped by several federal courts that had issued injunctions on the basis of he had no basis doing this and it was just flat out bigotry. But that didn't stop the United States Supreme Court or, you know, it's five conservative members. This is what the Republicans, McConnell and Trump have been fighting for to get this shit to have a majority in the United States Supreme Court. The fact that several lower courts had found this ban reprehensible based strictly on discrimination and not on any, any cognizable law, that didn't stop the Supreme Court from lifting the injunctions while it eventually considers the merits of the case. Because after all, it's always safer to err on the side of bigotry than err not on the side of bigotry. This gives us a chance to remember, as this country continues to be bought and paid for, that it was Justice Roberts who took that bold stand in pointing out that by basically undermining the Voting Rights Act, we wouldn't be seeing massive voter suppression in this country. It was the same bold Supreme Court justice who told us that campaign Finance was not a problem in this country. Campaign funding did not give the appearance of impropriety or bias on the part of lawmakers or judges. This is the bold Supreme Court justice who gives us another opportunity to remember that this safe five to four radical conservative majority of the United States Supreme Court was put there by a political party that has lost six out of the last seven presidential elections. It's also given us the opportunity to talk again about what it means, apparently, to be a liberal columnist for the liberal New York Times. I guess all that's been going on in this country has also given us an opportunity to talk about what real populism looks like in this country. We are living through the effects of faux or fake populism. 
which historically has always tended to take a right-wing nationalist bent, as we have seen in America in the last two years and historically. But this is what perhaps real progressivism and real populism can look like when government leaders actually on occasion choose to represent the interests of the public and not just their wealthy donors. We have some reminders that real populism and real progressivism look pretty much the same. And populism isn't going to come out of the right. It's only going to come out of the left. And how are we most reminded of this? I'm happy to report that in the first two days of the new New York State Senate, now being run by Democrats. Here's what's happened in the first two days of the New York State Senate, now run by Democrats. They have voted to expand voting rights in New York State, long time coming, behind the curve. They have voted to expand early voting, making it easier for people to get to the polls, since, as we pointed out endlessly on this show, Election Day is not even a holiday in this country, showing how much we want to prize voting. The New York State Senate, newly under Democratic control, has just enacted same-day primaries for state and federal elections to put things on the ballot together to give people more of an incentive to come out so that maybe you get a little bit more representation in some of these primaries than we tend to get. They voted for pre-registration for 16 and 17-year-olds preparing to reach their 18th birthday and be able to be registered to vote that much quicker and that much easier. The Democratic New York State Senate voted to limit campaign corruption. Not eliminate, mind you, of course, but at least to limit campaign corruption, which at the least is a step in the right direction. They have voted against discrimination. Again, pointing out the difference between the two political parties in this country. While this nationally we move to declare war on transgendered individuals, in New York State, the Senate has moved to add transgendered individuals to the list of hate crimes, thus protecting or adding protections to transgendered individuals. It has moved to ban conversion therapy. It is hard to imagine in 2000, what are we, 19 now, 2019, we are still talking about bullshit fake science that says it's going to take gay people and turn them straight, despite, you know, absolutely zero evidence supporting that. Republicans, of course, are up in arms about the New York State Senate's agenda. They don't understand, for instance, the concept of voting, of increasing voting rights, and they sure as hell do not understand the concept of reducing discrimination rather than increasing it. Before we leave, the L.A. teachers' strike also reminds us of what real populism can look like. The L.A. teachers' strike we reported on last week has been concluded happily. 
And let's talk for a few moments about what L.A. teachers were striking for and what they got. Because if you're not familiar with this, this is going to blow your mind. Here's some of the radical uh, proposals that the teachers were fighting for and appear to have gotten successfully. The agreement, once it's signed, will apparently call for a nurse and a librarian. Not necessarily the same person. In every middle and high school by the year 2020. Every California middle school and high school by the year 2020 should have a nurse and a librarian. Oh my God, how decadent. Wait a minute, as if that wasn't enough? They're going to add school counselors. Is there no end to how much we will coddle our children? Letting them go to a nurse or a librarian or a counselor? Wait, there is no end to how much we will coddle these children because part of the agreement is to reduce class sizes. Can you believe this? They are going to reduce high school classes to below 42 students. 42 students. That's the current limit on high school class sizes. In California public schools, 42 students, 42 students in a class. And this is what's going to train our young people to compete with the rest of the world. That's actually educating their children. So yes, teachers fought for a reduction in class sizes. So maybe our students have a better chance to learn something. Included in the agreement was that the mayor will support a ballot initiative that is due to get on the ballot in 2020 to reform the notorious, infamous California Proposition 13, which limited property taxes and basically destroyed California public schools. As I had reported on this show many months ago, I lived in California for several years and practiced law there. Worked at a big law firm with very successful lawyers. And the one thing that was basically a given is that except in a couple of isolated pockets, like I think Beverly Hills, there wasn't a single lawyer at my law firm who sent their kid to public school. California public schools have been so so devastated by Proposition 13 and limits on taxes used to fund important government like educating our children that the public schools were places that people with means at all simply could not send their children. Also on that ballot initiative will be perhaps raising corporate property taxes to help pay for some of this. Amending Proposition 13 to allow that to happen. So we look to go into next week's show where we will discuss what you need to run a responsible government, i.e. money. And why this country is dependent upon donations from corporate actors like Microsoft. In part, because we don't tax them anymore. Why relying on corporate largesse is a fool's errand. Yes, Microsoft, by the way, is donating half a billion dollars to help ease Seattle's housing crisis. But that, of course, comes on the heels of Amazon defeating a small tax proposal on big businesses that was designed to do the same thing. In other words, 
to get all big businesses to to help solve Seattle's housing crisis. As we record this show, the world's super rich and super elite are meeting in their usual playground in Davos, Switzerland to decide how to carve up the planet and probably the rest of us as well. The need instead for the rest of us to figure out how to carve up their finances and distribute it to the rest of the world has never been greater nor more apparent. That's why we will be devoting a special show coming up to a progressive tax system and Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's plan to actually tax the super rich in this country at least. That coming up on a future show, but before we leave, we want to leave on a lighter note. The NFL, the Super Bowl is coming up and we now know which two teams are going to be participating in the Super Bowl. We also, in fact, know that one of those two teams has no business being there. Oh, gee, I'm so upset about this black eye for the NFL. What a shame. Such a wonderful organization, so filled with social conscience. It's so sad to see this great stain on the NFL. You know, it's almost like the NFL referees decided to get down on their knees and protest police violence. No, it's not that bad. Anyway, the blown call that lets the wrong team get to the Super Bowl hopefully will be remembered for a long time. The most egregious non-call in a sporting event or calls or referee errors in sporting events since, I don't know, I guess a series of referee errors gave the 2014 Stanley Cup to the Los Angeles Kings rather than to my New York Rangers. Sorry, Ranger fan. Anyway, it's hard not to take some schadenfreudistic, I don't know if that's a word, Joy in watching the NFL have to suffer through this kind of indignity. An organization that's so clearly about wealthy white people and not giving a crap about anything else. Anyway, do look for our special show coming up shortly on a progressive tax system and the need and the rationale for taxing the rich. In the meantime, as always, thank you for joining us. Please do find us on iTunes, Podbean, uh, Stitcher, Instagram. We should be on all those places. Please do share us with your, with your friends. Have a wonderful week, and we hope to be talking to you soon. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Forward Nation Radio with David Leventhal. 